as a leader of an organization or just somebody that works in an organization, you want to be better, right? You want to have better relationships. You want to get more out of the people you work with. So excited to have Michael Gelb on with us today. Michael guides us to cultivate the skills we all need to deepen our relationships, broaden our humanity, and transform our lives. The interview with Michael is coming up right now. Work, 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 work. It's a rule around here. You work hard, play hard. I have eight different bosses right now. A big pun? Eight bosses. Eight? Eight, Bob. What if I work late? You work late. But I made the appointment two months ago. I'm here. Fresh off the lips of health marketing experts, this is Marketing Mouths. And now, here's Bill Claproth. Taking what they're giving because I'm working for a living. Welcome to the Marketing Miles Podcast, episode number seven in the hyper-competitive world of hospital marketing and can be hard to keep up. So our mission is to bring you marketing, PR, and social media experts, IT pros, authors, and other guests with information and insights to help you stay on top of your game. So excited to have author Michael Gelb on with us. Michael is the author of The Art of Connection, Seven Relationship Building Skills Every Leader Needs to Know Now. I'm in. Michael has pioneered the fields of creative thinking, accelerated learning, and innovative leadership, and I'm so excited to talk to him about his new book today. Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. Before we dig in, can you let us in on your personal life? What's fun for you when you're not saving the world? <laughs> I'm always saving the world <laughs> by teaching other people how to have more fun. And be yes. more creative, right? It, it all goes <laughs> right. together. If people would lighten up and, 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 and have a little more fun, they'd open their minds, be more creative, and maybe find more solutions. So it all goes together in my book. That's so true, especially in the world we live in nowadays. Gosh, if we could all lighten up a little bit, right? That would help. <laughs> We're working on it. <laughs> it's so crazy. Well, Michael, thank you again for joining me. So why do we need this book right now? What compelled you to write this? Well, for just the last 38 years, I have been teaching people the skills of creative thinking. I wrote a book called How to Think Like Leonardo da Vinci. And then I wrote another one called Innovate Like Edison, because I thought that creative thinking and innovation skills are the most important skills to help save the world. And having said that, I actually work applying these creative ideas in real organizations of all types all around the world. And if you really want to apply these creative ideas, if you really want to develop an innovative culture in your workplace, you're going to have to build relationships with other human beings. So, Ugh, really? Come on. Are you yeah. Oh, we've got to, we've got to talk to people. Yeah. What a oh, concept, huh? We can't, we can't just email them and right? text, text them? them. Just send them a text. Yeah. Oh, so, <laughs> God. You mean face to face? We have face to, to talk face. to people. Talk to actual humans. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Michael, come on. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, that's me. the deal. It's becoming a lost art, and that's why I had to write it. <laughs> All right. The Art of Connection, Seven Relationship Building Skills Every Leader Needs Now. So how did you come up with these seven? Well, I've been – this is all from material that I've worked with over the years. I've, I've been passionate about this topic. and. I had lots and lots of ideas. When I first came to, to put this, uh, to start writing this book, there were 
so many ideas that I was exceeding the word count that the publisher was going to allow me to have. So I said, okay, I have to simplify it. What are the seven most important ideas from all of the elements that I've explored over, over all these years? And, and this is, these are the ones that, that came to the top when I made, I made a mind map of all the ideas, the great way of expressing all your ideas and looking at the big picture of your thinking and then prioritizing. And these were the seven that just seemed to be the most essential that every leader really does need now. And that was part of the criteria for choosing the seven. What's most relevant right now? Well, that is perfect. We are trying to help the people listening right now develop better skills in the workplace and to become better leaders. So can you bullet point the seven skills that you go over? Sure. The first one is to embrace humility. Hmm. And it comes first because if you don't have it, you're probably not going to read the rest of the book. Because <laughs> <laughs> you think you know it all, right? You're, 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 but if you're such a know-it-all, you probably won't pick up the book anyway. So we probably can't help you. But <laughs> so embrace humility comes first. And then there's what I call be a glow worm. And that's based on the idea, the research validated idea, that emotions are contagious. The third, hmm. third okay. one of the skills is to achieve what I call the three liberations and then transcend fixation, balance energy exchange, be a rare listener and turn friction into momentum. I love it. So embrace humility, be a glowworm, achieve the three liberations, transcend fixations, balance energy exchange, be a rare listener and turn friction into momentum. Now, Michael, you know, all of these, I suppose, can be used in conjunction, but can a leader pick and choose when they feel they need one of these skills in a certain situation? Sure. I mean, let's say you wanted to, you got some feedback that says you have to improve your listening skills, which most people, if they're open to feedback, will will learn. <laughs> the people around them would like them to be better at listening. So there's also in the book uh, a section on how to give and receive feedback more effectively. So you could either start there, or if you need to tell somebody they need to be better at listening. As a matter of fact, my, my, my sense of how we're generating most of the sales for this book is people are giving it as a present to their colleague or their boss who they wish was a better listener. <laughs> <laughs> hint, hint. <laughs> yeah, right. I hope you get the hint, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Here's a present for you. <laughs> I love it. Uh, well, speaking of that, one of my questions for you was how do we become better listeners? Because I think you're right. We seem to all talk past each other. Can you give us a quick tip? How do we become better listeners? Sure. Well, it begins with the first principle of embracing humility. It's to recognize that it is our common experience that we misunderstand one another, that it is very normal that people will miscommunicate. So that if you expect that other people have fully understood what you said because you said it once and you think you said it clearly and they nodded their heads, and if you think that means you communicated such that they will remember and do what you think you agreed, you're living in a fantasy world. And same thing the other way around. Instead of just assuming that you know what other people really meant, if you have humility, you are curious. You ask follow-up questions. So that's just the simplest, most commonsensical beginning 
of the process of deepening one's listening skills. Well, that's very insightful, and you've kind of rearranged it, and I like that. We think about being a better listener as, as, okay, the person talking to me, I really need to hear what this person is saying. But as a leader, when you're giving direction, you mustn't assume that that person heard all, every word you said or really understands it, right? Because in their minds, they're thinking, I've got to do this. I've got to get home. I've got this project to do. And you come in and, hey, I need you to do this. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, got it. Leave. Chances are they may not really have it. So you're saying make sure that the other person really understands what you're saying. Sure, because listening is always multidimensional. I mean, if, I'm, if I am talking to someone or giving them instruction in the workplace, I, even as I am the one officially speaking, if I'm a skilled leader, I am effectively listening to their reaction. And listening is more than just with your ears. I'm watching their body language. I'm watching their facial expression. I'm, it's made, you know, more subtle, but I'm reading their energy. And I'm attuning to whether or not they're really aligned with what, what I'm sharing. And then I'm curious and I ask questions to try to ascertain the extent to which they might have actually understood or not understood and been aligned or had some resistance or issue or problem that maybe we can solve now instead of it coming up mm. later as some right. path of aggressive uh, blow up of what we thought we had agreed. And, and, and again, this is, this is just common workplace experience, not to mention common family and relationship experience. But in the workplace, this, this, is, a, this is a tremendous key to engagement, to alignment, to all the good stuff that leaders are supposed to be facilitating. But it, it breaks down on the simplest level when we aren't continually refining our, our ability to be more empathic, to be more attuned, to pay more attention, to be more present. Because as we, we've discussed, everybody's so distracted that these skills are not getting better without, without some kind of intervention. And, and part of the intervention is read this book. <laughs> right. And you know, and Michael, we're losing that skill because we rely on email and text so much that when you are face to face with someone, you're learning that ability to read whether or not the other person is getting it. And it's like you say, making sure that that person understands what you're saying and you have that connection avoids the conflict or the problem down the road. So I think that's really important what you just said. Thank you. Well, one of the exercises that's in the book, and it's drawn from seminars I've been teaching for many years, we get people to write down a word. It can be a random word. Sometimes I assign them the word. Sometimes I let them choose it. In the book, we use the word art. And you ask people to write down their first 10 associations with the word art, just the first 10 words they think of related to that word. And at the after people write down their 10 associations, you put them in groups of four and you ask them to tell each other what words they wrote down and find out how many times all four of them had the same word, how many times three of them had the same word, how many times two of them had the same word, and how many words were unique. And what you discover is that most of people's associations are unique. They're entirely different. And people are shocked by them. And what that tells you, I ask people, to, I debrief them. I say, what are the implications of this for communication? They say, it's amazing we understand each other at all. And, and when communication is purely 
done just by words, as it is done increasingly with reliance on email and text and so on, we were getting more and more out of touch and disconnected. So it's good to be precise and careful and thoughtful in the use of words, which is not something that most people are getting much better at. <laughs> right. But then, right. Yeah. So it, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, and that, and then that leads me to, you say we should connect with each other first before trying to solve a problem. So is that kind of what you're talking about? Kind of go into that a little bit, because I think that is really interesting as well. Thank you. Well, that's, yeah, that's one of the core principles of, of the book, Conjungere ad salvendum. It's the Latin motto that I made up to emphasize the point because <laughs> it just sounds more memorable and impressive in Latin. I love it. And it means connect before solving. So before you focus on the transaction, before you focus on the solution, on getting something done, on fixing the problem, focus first connecting with the other humans involved, on establishing a rapport, a sense of simpatico, of alignment, of connection with their humanity. And you'll be amazed at how much more fluidly and easily solutions flow and how many difficulties are avoided by tuning in and connecting with yourself and others first. Mm -hmm. So do you have a couple tips for how we can better connect? Say I'm a leader in a, in a hospital and I'm a marketing director and I've got a team of seven people. And you just said a minute ago that given uh, seeing the observations of people, giving them a word association, how vastly different we are. How can we connect? How can that leader in that environment connect with the seven people that he works with closely day-to-day uh, -day basis? Well, the first step is, of course, to connect with oneself. So to be more self-aware, To this, there are a whole series of practices in the book designed to help that leader balance, become more centered, become more, more present. And in the world today, it's, it's just so crazy. There's so much competition for our attention that we need to have a practice. We need to stop and tune into our breathing, align our posture change our physiology out of the habitual modality, which unfortunately is pretty much a permanent state of startle, fight, flight, fear response, <laughs> which isn't ideal for connecting. <laughs> so we have to free ourselves from that, and that takes, that takes daily practice. So I give guidance for how to do that in the book. But then one thing that really helps is to understand your own I call it in the book, I call it fixation. Uh, you might call it your personality profile, your communication style. And mm -hmm. let's say you're the leader of a senior team. Uh, you want to figure out the style and the personality profile of each of the members of your team uh, because one person will receive information and be motivated uh, through direct instruction, and another person requires more bonding and they call it affiliative style, uh, more of an interpersonal soft touch. Uh, so if you can know the different styles of the people on your team and learn to tune into them accordingly, uh, you're just going to be much more effective and you'll save a lot of time instead of just the usual one size fits all. And by the way, the one size that 
ignorant leaders tend to use is their own size. It's the one that mm. just is their mm. fixation, their own default setting. So then what happens is they attract other people who are just like them, and that's why they make huge, stupid mistakes, because they're blinded by their own shared prejudices, which they reinforce uh, because they're basically unconscious. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. They don't have the self-awareness they need. That's really interesting. So tailor your message to who your audience is, if you will. And you also write uh, that contemporary leaders need to be able to communicate like therapists. Is that what you mean by that? Uh, well, that's part of what I mean. It's just uh, If you think about the skill of a really great therapist, uh, it, it turns out that there's one, one study that was uh, done on this. It's a, one of these meta studies where they look at what modality of therapy gets the best results? And so they looked at all kinds of different approaches, gestalt therapy, cognitive therapy, Jungian therapy, and they're trying to see which of these is best. And they found that there was no real difference. Uh, it seemed that about one-third of people got worse, one-third stayed the same, and one-third got better, whatever the modality. So then they zeroed in on the one-third who got better. And they were trying to see, was there some commonality in what the therapists were doing across these modalities? And the one thing they discovered was that the best therapists, whatever the modality, were manifesting what the researchers referred to as accurate empathy. In mm. other words, they were tuning into each patient, each client, in a way whereby that client, that patient, felt accurately seen and understood. Now, this is what everybody wants in every relationship. This is what your children want. This is what your wife or your husband or your boyfriend or your girlfriend wants. And it's not, you know, we think of it as this big, profound deal. Oh, somebody really saw me as I truly am. It's a rare experience. Well, it shouldn't be so rare. Uh, it should, don't, wouldn't that be like that? You could, if you could cultivate that skill to, to tune into people, to be empathic, understand them so that they feel understood and seen by you in a compassionate and caring and kind way, which can also doesn't mean it's coddling. It doesn't mean you're not really tough. doesn't mean as a leader you don't hold people to really high standards. Actually, you do, and those people will be much more willing, much more engaged if they feel that you get them. That's what just mm -hmm. said. Everybody wants this. So I try to help leaders develop the ability to do this for other people. And guess what? Their teams not only function much more effectively, but their whole lives are much better because it, it's one of the most fundamental, essential, critical skills for happiness. Mm. So accurate empathy. Accurate empathy. Accurate empathy. So your book then can help us have more empathy for each other. That, well, this is, you know, there's a, actually, it's great because I, I worked in a number of hospital settings. And one of the challenges is always that, you know, the physicians uh, have been trained to kind of feel that they run their whole universe, but the administrators have to run the universe of the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> and they're trying to, they're trying to leverage everybody into a team so that the physicians work well with the administrative staff and with the support staff and they're, you know, they're basically a, a senior person in, in a hospital always trying to, to be a peacemaker <laughs> and to get right. people to communicate effectively with others who have different styles. Uh, and there, there's actually a piece in, in the book 
called Clinical Empathy. Mm. And it's, it's, it's based on an interview I did with a physician friend of mine who, like many physicians, was, was burned out earlier in her career because she had been trained, uh, as was the case in, in most medical schools up until very recently, to not be empathic, to not focus on feelings at all. Uh, you know, when I was thinking of going to medical school many years ago, there was no no interest whatsoever in a candidate's emotional intelligence. It was all about your scientific uh, prowess, pretty much. Uh, mm-hmm. So empathy wasn't developed, and it was also it was actually thought to be dangerous that it would interfere with your clinical judgment. Uh, uh, the problem is that physicians who grew up in that model have been trained not to feel. And you can get away with that for a while, but it, but eventually it catches up with you. And that's why we have such a uh, significant uh, rate of stress-related ailments for physicians. Anyway, this, 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 this doctor you know, kind of came, well, she did pretty much burn out. And then she made a comeback and she said, I'm going to learn to be in touch with my, myself and my own feelings. And I'm going to learn to be in touch with and connect with my patient by just being present with the reality of the feeling aspect of the interaction. And I recount the story in the book where, where she's with a, a, a patient who has a terminal diagnosis, but she just she connects with the, the patient uh, in a heart-centered way. And her patient, uh, who's so emaciated, uh, she, she goes over to my friend and moves her stethoscope out of the way so she can hug her because she, she's so amazing that if she hugged her with the stethoscope, it would hurt mm-hmm. her. And 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 my friend, the, uh, the physician, said it was the first time she'd ever been hugged uh, in her practice by a patient, and mm. that she realized that by being present with the patient, it didn't just help the patient feel better, but it was the secret to her own sense of feeling more integrated and feeling healthier and having more energy at the end of every day of taking care of people. Uh, so this, well, you know, this, is, this yeah. is powerful stuff. It is powerful stuff. And once you realize when you give those random acts of kindness and helping other people, you get it back in return. That helps you as well. So, And that empathy is so important. And we do lose that in our texting and email and mm-hmm. over-digitized world. That's so important. Well, Michael, it seems as if we could utilize your steps. We would all have a better understanding of each other, a greater acceptance, and a lot more harmony in our relationships. The book is The Art of Connection, Seven Relationship Building Skills Every Leader Needs to Know Now by Michael Gelb. Michael, I could talk to you all day. Pick up the book. There's so much more in the book. We've basically just grazed the top of it. So thank you for being on with me. But before we go, we have to do the Marketing Mouse Wheel of Questions. So I end every interview this way. So we're going to have you step up to the wheel. Michael, grab a hold of it and give it a spin. Okay, let's do it. Coming to a stop. Here we go. The patented Marketing Mouse Wheel of Questions. Here it comes. And it is Michael what drives you to do what you do? I just, I love it. I just love it. I love to see the light go on in people's eyes when they, when they get uh, these skills that I'm passionate about sharing. Mm-hmm. That's got to be a great feeling. All right, give it another spin. Here we go. All right. And here it is. All right. If you could have dinner with any famous person, living or dead, who would that be? Oh, that's a really easy one. I wrote How to Think Like Leonardo da Vinci. I'm dining with Leonardo. There you go. 
<laughs> Dinner with Leonardo tonight. That would be an interesting <laughs> night, wouldn't it? Man, yeah. the questions you would have for that guy. Love it. All right, Michael, step up. Give it another spin. Okay, here we go. All right, coming to a stop. And, oh, I love this one. If you were stuck on a deserted island and could only bring one book with you, not of your own, what would that book be? <laughs> not of your own. Uh, I, it would probably be the complete works of Shakespeare. Wow. You would have uh, a lot of time on that deserted island to take all that in. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I'd memorize okay. it. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Last spin. One more spin. Here we go. All right, one of my favorites. Finish this sentence. Throughout my life, the most important thing I've learned is... Help others whenever you can. So good and so simple. And as we were talking about earlier, it comes right back to you then. I love it. it well, it the, the book is The Art of Connection, Seven Relationship Building Skills Every Leader Needs to Know Now by Michael Gelb. Michael, how can we connect with you? Thanks. The uh, best way is michaelgelb.com. That's G-E-L-B, michaelgelb.com. Michael, thank you again. We're going to put all of that info up on marketingmouths.com. And thank you for listening. We appreciate it. Marketing Mouths is brought to you by Dr. Podcasting. Learn more at drpodcasting.com. I'm Bill Klaproth. Thanks for listening. <laughs>